On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about APIs, Application Programming Interface. What is an API? Why is an API important? And what makes an API different? All that and more on A State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A State of Control. A State of Control, Episode 109, Leave the Back Door Unlocked. Welcome to A State of Control, an aviation podcast that highlights the control programming and automation aspects of the audiovisual industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So on today's show, we have a topic that I enjoy in particular, and it uh, involves a commonly used term that I think requires a little bit of clarification because it can be misunderstood or misused. And uh, the acronym that I'm talking about is an API, and uh, that's also known as an application programming interface. And so to uh, discuss that, we'll get into the details of it and and, uh, dissect it a bit. Uh, Our two guests, one is a newcomer and the other is a returning guest. And before I introduce them, I get to say hello to my partner here at Estate of Control, Rich Fergoza. Uncle Richie, how are you, Rich? I'm doing good, brother. It's good to see you. It's actually, uh, I think we haven't really had much time uh, to chat since the last time we recorded, but you've been slightly busy, so. Yes, sir. <laughs> you, yes, your sir. free time has been has been uh, used up quite a bit, but no, good to see you and actually glad to glad to get to chat with these gentlemen. So I'm looking forward to this one. And, and, and kudos on entering the show with breaking down the acronym because as the rule states you cannot list it unless you explain it <laughs> absolutely absolutely who can't uh, can't depart from the aviation traditions um so let's uh introduce our guests today um the first comes to us from the pacific northwest he is a an av industry veteran and an expert programmer and his name is nick miller welcome nick hi steve uh, great to be back thanks for having me Thanks for being here. It's been a bit since uh, Nick was here, but his last uh, episode was episode 96. You know, everybody's busy, but we're glad to have him back. And uh, um, he's always a great contributor to the show. Um, and last but not least, we get to welcome a newcomer, somebody who is a listener of our show and also works with uh, Neil Silver, who's been with us a couple of times um, from LCD Control Systems. His name is Tony Howard. Welcome, Tony. Hi, Steve. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being here. And Tony, uh, if you can't tell, comes to us from uh, Italy, actually. So thanks for staying up late and being with us. It's all right. Origins from Australia, but I find myself now here in Italy talking to you guys. So very happy to be here. Excellent. Well, we appreciate that and glad that we can reach people across the globe. So uh, as I mentioned at the top, you know, the term API is come up quite a bit in conversations. Uh, We talk about it when we're trying to do device integration. We talk about it when we're trying to build interoperable systems. I mean, an API has really been uh, the key element to making devices talk to each other. But back in the day when Rich and I were doing this API 
it wasn't really something that was used. We were doing RS-232 control and we were using what was called a control protocol. And we used to reach out to a manufacturer and try to get uh, sometimes a faxed document that had the commands that uh, you needed to make a product talk. So Rich, uh, I'll let you reminisce with me together, um, but let's talk about what's the main difference in what, you know, is API just a grown up term or, or what, what are we um, talking about now as opposed to what we were working with when we were talking about a control protocol back in the day? Well, I got to say that Nick actually remembers the pain as much as we do as well. I mean, this goes back to the days of us hand soldering VGA uh, cables, you know, and sitting there with 25 pin cables and, you know, sitting with the soldering iron and making this work. Um, I mean, in a word, yes, it's it's the grown up protocol. Um, when we were first starting out, uh, you know, inter system communication was, you know, I mean, you were you were literally having to beg, plead and borrow to find ways because all of the manufacturers are like, no, this is our secret sauce. Um, I mean, we even went to the point where I remember, oh gosh, you know, late nineties, uh, you know, we, we didn't even have the protocol, the manufacturer working with the pool manufacturer, we wrote their module. Um, they just said, here's how they said, here's the RS-485 network that goes to our keypad and Here's what it does communicating back and forth. So they're like, here you go. This is this is how this thing works. If you want to make it <laughs> talk to something else, go for it, you know? And, and uh, you know, that was the days of not only getting the facts, but having to fax the NDAs to all of these manufacturers. Because it was really about, they were just so fearful that if the information got out, that somebody was going to go ahead and copy their secret sauce. And, and uh also, you know, there was, there was no network communication. So you were physically wired with a transmitter, receive, you know, a ready to send and a clear to send. You know, if you were lucky, it was uh, a nine pin cable. I remember some of the old ones were the 25 pin modem cables in between. And, you know, you, you can tell somebody who was in the industry pre-internet, basically, when the first things that pop in the back of their mind was like, did you swap two and three? You know, if the words, <laughs> did you swap two and three <laughs> came out of your mouth, you've been doing this for a while. Um, and so, yeah, the beginning of it was, and, and again, just like it continues to happen in the industry, the only reason why the AP came up, the API came about is because the tech industry forced that movement towards opening up the, the application protocols. It wasn't by choice that the manufacturers did it because they were still dealing with that, that sense of, you know, the walled garden. But like everything else, it was like, well, the greater tech industry is doing this. There's more and more pressure, not from the integrator community, but from the tech community to be able to access it. And, and honestly, I, you know, I mean, for me, I really felt that where the tipping point was, was Cisco. When, when Cisco decided that yeah okay we're we're going to we're going to actively work and publish not document but publish the ways to make these things work together i really felt that that's kind of everybody else kind of followed suit and went okay well if they're doing it we we can't, we don't really have the choice to say you know we can't do it anymore um but but yeah, it is. It's an evolution. I think it's an opening. I think it was just it was a it, an inevitable movement 
that occurred because it went far beyond the the AV integration side of things. It was more a matter of you've got building managers, IT managers, you've got all of these other companies saying, hey, if you're going to be on our network, we need to at least be able to find out what the heck you're doing, you know, as an MP, right? Uh, you know, just all of these ways to be able to say, hey, if you're going to play with us, you're playing by our rules and we need to know what it is. And if we need to ask you or interrogate you or, or any of these things, you need to have to be able to have a way to communicate. And I think fortunately what it did is it opened it up for us. I don't think it was by by design <laughs> that the API opened to us. I think it just was, you know, they there there were there were pressures to create it. And some manufacturers have embraced it and some manufacturers are still dealing with it begrudgingly. Nick, I'll, I'll kind of pass it over to you, and I'm glad that you can relate to our conversation here, even though you're, you're definitely younger than us. Um, but but tell us a little bit about you know what what is important about an API when a manufacturer goes to develop one. What what are what are some of the things that are critical, and and what what makes an API effective? It really comes down to two things for me: structure and documentation. Consistency of structure and how uh, how you um, how you go about communicating with a device or a platform, whatever the case may be, uh, and then documenting that. Uh, I think one leads to the other: uh, a solid foundation and structure and consistent methodology of how a device uh, is implemented leads to good documentation, which leads to ease of implementation from a developer perspective. And I I would I'll add to that: putting in examples is always good. <laughs> Because sometimes if you, when you, you leave something up open to interpretation, not everybody reads things the same way. Um, and and the, the importance of that too, ju just to kind of elaborate a little bit, is that a lot of times developers don't have the product in front of them. When they're working with an API, they actually have to develop against a document versus test against the product. It's nice to have the product, but you don't always have it. Um, Tony, I'll um, bring you in on this. Um, what are the different characteristics of an API that that are really um, make make one um, different, differentiate them from from each other? What what what, are, what is something that that you look for, and and what what because um, they, they're not all the same. There really is no standard when it comes to an API. I think uh, just like Nick mentioned, I really start to look for first of all documentation. And when I'm actually looking at the documentation, I will find some of those characteristics in a, have they actually put forward their intention with the API? Why, why were they releasing this API? Was it for me to use even? Perhaps it was just something I found somewhere in the back end. Then further into that, I want to start sort of getting into a little bit of some of the limitations of that API. So I will look at those characteristics and say, how well was that documented? How many times could I call in an hour that I could use this particular function? Or if it was for a cloud, what sort of user base did I need to have? Some of the characteristics I'm looking for then is also beyond that, actually saying how, how portable is it? Can I just go and take any REST sort of system that I've got already in place for another API and use it on this API? Or am I going to have to reinvent the wheel before I can start implementing this API in my code? Um, you know, Rich, the, come, coming back around, um, when we... When we work with the manufacturer and we, and and you know, you uh, digest their API, um, 
What, what, what are, you know, we, we talked a little bit about limitations and we talked a little bit about the, the documentation and so forth. What, 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 what should somebody who doesn't understand an API know about it? So um, a lot of times it, the, the, it becomes a standard answer. We have an API. Well, great. You know, that, but that's not a, that's not a solution. The solution is being able to know how to implement it, but also know how to, to get what you need from it. So, so um, what, what, what should people know about or what questions should they be asking when, when um, uh, th this topic comes up? Well, I mean, it's, it's twofold. One, and, and I, you know, I kind of go back to when you and I were in Barcelona and we had the opportunity to talk to one of the engineers who was responsible for a product and he was responsible for the API. And sometimes what you get the backstory on is that the engineers, for the most part, really want to provide a robust API or protocol. Like they actively want to. The guys who are like writing the machine level code for these devices they just don't always have the time or have been given the priority list access to develop it. And, and so one of the things that we've talked about is that like, you know, we're on this side saying, hey, we need this. Hey, we need this. Hey, we need this. It's not necessarily that the manufacturer's turning a, a deaf ear to it. It's just that on their priority list of all of the things that they need to do, a lot of times the API doesn't bubble up to the top. And and it gave me an appreciation, honestly, when I was dealing with manufacturers a little bit more than before, because I, I, even though I knew it, I wasn't, it didn't resonate with me that like, hey, man, these guys probably are trying, but, you know, there's only so many hours in the day that they can do it and they probably want to do it. And so it became, it, it changed the direction of instead of why aren't you giving me what I want? It was how can I partner with you to get you to the other side as well. And um, like in dealing with some of the manufacturers coming on, I've, I've broached it in a way now to kind of the, the help me help you uh, version, which is, Hey, look, you know, I, I, I know that you're getting these requests for X, Y, and Z. And I, and I know that there's a way to get this verbose, rich information. Cause Hey, look, you know, from, from the back end, us, the geeks, we're, we're like, we want the information. We want everything. I may never use this. I just like knowing that it's there. Right. I really like knowing that it's there. Right. I want to know the hue coming back from this projector. You know, most people don't even know what hue is, but the fact is they want to know, they want to be able to control it in the first place. So uh, I, my conversations, you know, and again, you do this more than I do. I mean, I mean, obviously you guys are in active third-party development, but when I'm dealing in a one-on-one -on -one or something, you know, my approach as of late has been, Hey, look, it's been the triage approach. You, we can go down the sophisticated, a, you know, API route and feature rich and all of these things. But I'm like, how about let's make it easy. How about let's take a look at somebody that's something I'm like, can you just generate simple ASCII code for on and off? You know, X or Y, you know, can you just provide some of these things that you don't have to go too far into it, but just, you know, a call and response. It's like, can you, I, I call it the row, row, row your boat, right? You know, can you just give me the call, call and response of what I'm asking for? It's like, you know, on, on, off, off, right? You know, I mean, that's, that's really all I'm looking for. And then going with them um, to say now what we would love is this, this, and this. The hard part right now, and, and I think that manufacturers are dealing with it more than us, and we're now starting to feel the pain from it, 
is like, you know, all of a sudden they start talking about OAuth or they start talking about security and single keys. And, you know, now, now because these devices are exposed on their network, the first thing that they have to do is secure their device because they're the ones that are liable. They're the actual box that's still plugging back in. And then basically, you know, the fight is, is that we're saying, hey, we know you've got this secure system that you've spent years trying to make sure that you're not a breach point um, and a vulnerability. Can you just open up the back door and let us in? And, and I won't tell anybody, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to tell anybody, but, can, you know, just leave the back door unlocked. It'll be cool. We'll just, it's just be between friends. And the biggest thing that I've learned about APIs right now is, is as integrators, we have to operate with more empathy. Um, you know, and that's the thing is that we're like, I want, I want, I want, I want, but we're not having the conversation of what are your roadblocks as a manufacturer and how can I, and I think that's where you find your success. A, a successful third-party person is saying, Hey, look, you've got a problem. I'm walking in with the solution. I'm not asking you, to make the solution, I'm I'm already meeting you past halfway, and I think that that causes the integrator, the developer, or whatever, to really think about their stuff, think about their process, get to know the manufacturer that they're dealing with, and then change the dynamic. Yeah, I mean, you just change the conversation at that point. Um, so you know, kind of what you're talking about is you know where are you at? It's not the the the, the bits and bytes. Every product's going to be different. We already know that. But there now there are new layers because these are internet-connected devices. And the minute that you have an internet-connected device, you have a vulnerability point. And you have to be sensitive to that first. Know that there are compromises. And then, you know, it's like everything else, right? It's, it's basic rules of business, right? Don't come at me with problems. Come at me with solutions. If you come at me with a solution, I'm going to be more open to what you're saying. And, and, and that's kind of the life lesson from, from a control systems programmer is you got to get out of the me, me, me. You, you got to go into we, we, we. Uh, Nick, I, I, uh, I, I wanted to touch on something that, that Rich said and also kind of take it a little bit further is, you know, when we talk about API, we're talking about network controlled devices. So, but, but the thing that's important, and like Rich said, they didn't just develop the API for us. It, it, there's, you know, an API is used for so many other things. And I don't believe everybody understands that. Um, talk a little bit about that and, and, you know, and, and kind of give us um, some perspective on, on, you know, why an API is developed and, and what are, what are some other uses of it beyond just having a control programmer in, interface with it. Absolutely. There's a, a multitude of reasons to have a robust and uh, performant API uh, beyond just control system programming. Hey, I want to make this button do that on that device over there. It's uh, as Tony was alluding to and Rich, I think also touched on it, uh, monitoring and management uh, when you've got sysadmins that want to know every device that's connected to their network and, and rightfully so they're, they're responsible for maintaining uh their business operations in a lot of cases. Um, so management uh, of their overall ecosystem, controlling the device, uh, 
life cycle uh, of a product, uh, how consistent are software updates and firmware updates and things like that. Um, one of the biggest things I look for in an API, that's a, a key indicator in how robust an API is or how much time a manufacturer spent uh, uh, developing an API is the uh, consideration of asynchronous notifications or asynchronous uh, uh, communication. Is this a product where I have to query it every second, every 30 seconds, every five minutes, whatever the case may be, or is there a, a means of establishing uh, communication, maintaining that connection and getting updates as the device needs it? Because a lot of times we, we're working with uh, devices and platforms where we're not the only point of control. There may be a lighting system that is connected to an app or connected to a cloud service or a management platform, things of that nature. And things are changing outside of our small little silo, uh, our small our small little corner of the world. And we need to know about those things or should it, it's good when we do uh, so that we can act upon them, we can respond to them. And just overall, it, it makes our systems that we're developing that much more robust. I just wanted to add to Rich's and Nick's comment around the breadth of an API, because one of the other things an API could do is it could introduce you to a completely new market. So you've built this box, it's an amplifier, and the amplifier is doing its thing, it's amplifying some audio. But actually, if the API was to support a whole heap of other things, maybe input monitoring, all sorts of various things, oh, well, actually, it's opened up a brand new market for that particular product. And that's what a really good API can do. Obviously, they need to spend the time to make it a very expand, like a very wholesome API that takes care of all the functionality inside their box. But that's a, a real benefit to making a, a good API. All of us on uh, on this uh, call are tinkerers by nature. That's just that's kind of the nature of how we got into the, in this business. So we've all made different devices and different things do things that they weren't originally intended to do, uh, and that's a result of engineering of an API and th and being able to take a device and take it uh, and look at it and say, hey, you know what? I can actually make that do something the manufacturer may not have ever thought of. Uh, and so going back to riches, uh, help me help you that can open up avenues that the manufacturer didn't have, didn't think was a market play, uh, for them. So it, it kind of all comes back to openness and, and capabilities. Even for Neil and I, we've, we've been implementing APIs in our own products for various university projects and all sorts of things. And we've been really surprised and we thought about it just today. We were thinking, oh, did we ever think we we're going to use that API that we created for this completely different functionality? And now it's our, it's, a, it's our bread and butter product. And we go, oh, actually, we wouldn't have gotten there unless we sort of put that work into the API in the first place. So Tony, talk, talk a little bit more about the importance of having an API that you can build upon, as you mentioned, and, but, but also is backward compatible, if you will. And, and you know, the, you know, at the beginning of the show, Rich talked a little bit about uh, in the past, there was a lot of undocumented control and you used to have to kind of figure things out. And while that is something that can be done, it's to those of us who have done it, we realize what the pitfalls are. So, so t talk, talk a little bit about that. Look, for us, we've, we, we have a CICD process, so we can version all of our APIs that we create along the way. And that's the first thing. It needs to be an easy process because if you're trying to sort of manually write it down on a, on a Word document somewhere, you're going to be really burying yourself in you know, an entire sort of 
problem, a new problem, which is just managing versions. The second thing is that power that we gained from actually creating our own API by putting that out there and then also versioning it. All of that, those codes that we put into all those various rooms and whatever it happened to be, they're immediately expandable. We can actually go and do things that we didn't think we were ever going to need to do, or, or we can go and sell more products to those particular clients and say, oh, did you know we could also do this? Beyond that, what we're also seeing is in tender documents, they're actually asking us to implement an API. For us to deliver this project and finish this project, it needs to include an API for some sort of user interface so that even though we might provide them with the user interface in the future, they don't have to actually come back to us for any of that information. They can actually just take that API and implement their own user interface or their own subsystem or whatever it happens to be. They can do that on their own without us having to change anything because they asked us to do it in the tender. Um, Nick, uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about, you know, for, for some people, an API is really what you need to do and what, what you, you need to do your job. And, and, and it's that, you know, we, we've kind of opened up the key to the castle and we can, we can get in and, and do, do what we need. But for some, an API is not necessarily what they need to be able to be successful if you're just programming a project. You, you know, lear learning and digesting and implementing an API is probably more uh, of an, it could be a greater task than actually doing a project. Um, so uh, that, that opens up the conversation to modules and drivers, plugins, to talk a little bit about what, what, is, what those are, are and, and why they are, are critical to programmers. Sure. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of uh, developing middleware and drivers in particular for to control individual devices um, for a number of reasons. One, it makes things ex uh, much more portable and reusable. Uh, if you've got uh, devices X, Y, and Z in, in a project, and then the next project you've got X, A, B, and C, you have that module, you have that driver ready to go that you can just take pluck from previous project plug it into the next one and you develop a get immediate economy of scale. Um, the other thing is interoperability. Uh, as it, it, depending on the platform, obviously, you can, there are um, it, language libraries uh, that could be written against specific products that are portable from even from platform to platform. Um, so you gain a lot of uh, efficiency uh, by developing middleware on, uh, and drivers on the front end uh, of, a pro uh, of a project. Um, while you're doing that, you're also creating a separation of concerns and making things easier to troubleshoot in, your, in the development phase uh, of a project. So if you run into an issue uh, with a certain sequence, uh, let's just, let's say you're starting up a classroom and there's 10 different 50 different uh, operations that are happening. If one of those or one or two of those things go wrong, how do you go about troubleshooting it when you've got 50 points of attack? Uh, by having those in, those individual driver components, you can isolate down to the individual, but just like hardware troubleshooting uh, is what it comes down to. Well said. <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean, I, that, the, the, that's an important part. I think of any programmer back in, you know, I don't think anybody ever has the time that they need to complete a project, never mind, learn a new product and, and, um, do this type of development, uh, with, within the parameters of, of, of a given client need, um, which I'll, I'll kind of come back to you. Um, when we're, 
looking ahead, um, what, what, what are some of the things that um, programmers are going to need to know, uh, you know, and, and how, and I, we always like to talk about what the future looks like and also what people need, need to learn. Uh, what, what, what are some of the skills that are required to, to, to work with an API, get comfortable and, and be able to, to say that I can write these modules and drivers that, and middleware that, uh, that Nick mentioned? I think going forward, you have a choice. You either need to learn about encryption or you need to partner with somebody who knows about encryption. Because, you know, again, it it's not, it, as, you know, we have entered the IoT world. We are in it now. It just, it's, you know, cloud is not even this, oh, wow, the cloud. It's just, it, it is just a part of life. IoT is just a part of life. It is becoming, it's being taken for granted is what's happened. We've, we've reached that tipping point where the assumption is that you have a connected device and the markets of silos is shrinking and, and they're very specific places, government, banking, medical, right? Um, those are, you know, kind of the, the last three points of the pyramid where, uh, you know, you, 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 already know by design that the vulnerabilities have been accounted for typically by being physically separated from the greater world. Now let's move to the 98% of the systems that are out there. Um, you don't want to be, you know, the HVAC system plugged into target that gets, uh, that, that gets exposed and comes through. Because again, and you're seeing it because if you're in this industry and if you don't have your cybersecurity policies and if you don't have your um, uh, omission clauses built in, um, you know, those are the things now that it's like if your device is connected to the greater world and you are connected to another device that potentially could have vulnerabilities, whether you knew it or not. Because that's how the world works. It didn't happen like the way you intended it. You know, it's like nobody goes out in the street and 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 expects to get mugged. You know, I mean, that's just it's not like I'm waking up today. Hey, you know, there might be a mugging happening, right? Um, so the the defense is encryption, and and more and more, there are laws being passed now, even for simple simple things like password protection in California. You cannot plug in an, an electronic device and put it on a computer network without first at least changing the default password. It's simple stuff like that that people are, are, are understanding. It's like, oh, I can't leave the back door open anymore. In our instances, and the manufacturers that we're dealing with, they're going to be forced into security, and you're not going to be able to disable it. We're still in that middle point where you can work with manufacturers and say, ah, security maybe not right um but going forward those 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 doors are going to get closed more and more as time happens and so you're going to have to again you, you got a choice you either invest in figuring it out or you partner or you hire and all of those are good it's it's not bad to partner or get somebody who does what they do guess what it's what the tech industry does right and so that's the big thing is shaking off as a control systems programmer that you have to do everything, that everything has to reside with you, that if it's not in your knowledge base, it's not important. We got to get past that. 
you know, I, I feel guilty of it, you know, but for me, it's, it's the equivalent of, you know, I was thinking about as we were talking and talking about the old days, you know, there was a company literally called black box. That was the name of the company black box. And they made just all the widgets of, of, you know, there used to be, I, I was laughing. I was thinking about like, when we were writing the protocol, I had to buy a little device that was between my computer or no, that was between the pool controller and the keypad. And then it siphoned off the signal that I could bring into my computer so that I could watch back and forth. It was the original Wireshark. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is that you don't have to be the tinkerer anymore if you don't want to be. You can, and you can do cool stuff, and there's market opportunities, and there's businesses to be built off of tinkering. Absolutely. Those are your niches and riches. But the greater industry, if you're in commercial, if you're in education, if you're doing boardrooms, if you're doing huddle spaces, if you're doing X, Y, or Z, where you're going to make your money as a control systems programmer is coming in as a unique solutions provider. And again, if it's all about business, you learn it and you invest in it and you create something that's yours like Tony's doing, you know, and like Nick is doing and then like you're doing. Or you partner and you ally and, you know, you create something that comes out of it and, and hey, everybody gets a piece of the pie. That's cool. And, and so for control systems programmer, your business model going forward has to be a lot more about collaboration than sitting in that silo. And because those opportunities are there, it's going to be a certain point where you're going to be forced to, to make the choice. It's not just going to be, I feel like doing it. It's going to be like, no, this sucker's closed. And again, like I said, if you don't understand encryption and one-time keys or, you know, anything that's going on like that, you're host. You can make it work once, but three months later, once it breaks and the key breaks and you have no way to re- to asynchron- asynchronously keep that communication, you know, you ain't gotten called back. You're not getting that client anymore. And that's the reality, which is like, oh, I can make it once. Here's the, I walked through, I did the dog and pony show. See, we made the call. Three months later, system's not working. You only get so many chances with that one. I, I can say it's actually quite liberating once you sort of shake off your control system programming mentality and you start to get to play with all the big toys and all the normal like web dev kind of APIs and all these sorts of things because you actually do, your mentality changes. And also there's a, there's a new new line of staff you can possibly hire because you're no longer actually just dealing with a control systems programmer. You're actually got a, a normal training street, a university studied engineer, software engineers who know what they're doing. And there's many more of them to be, to be able to help you provide the solution that you're looking for. And, and Tony makes a good point that, that the fear is that by bringing in outside people, it's going to put you out of a job. It's not, it's not going to put you out of a job. It makes you more valuable. If you're working for a company, it shows your growth pattern. If you own the company, it's going to be what helps you survive. And that's one of the biggest competitive advantages I see for uh, some of us old dog control system programmers uh, is that that knowledge base of the the category uh, that we work with, of, of the devices that we've been working with. Uh, I've always uh, told people when asked about how to, get, how to get into control system programming or what I look for in a control system programmer if I, if I were out hiring one. And I always say, I would rather take uh, a an AV technician that has intimate knowledge of products that they work with on a day-to-day basis, give them a little bit of training on the software development side, 
and cut them loose as a control system programmer, as opposed to coming to coming at it from the other direction where you have a pure computer science grad coming out of college that could be work, could go to work for Google or Facebook or Apple, any of the fang companies, but they have no knowledge of the, uh, of the products that we typically work with. Uh, that's going to be a much steeper learning curve, uh, in my mind. We, we quite specifically try and silo them off actually. <laughs> But internally, we, do, we kind of don't want them getting really bogged down in all the control system stuff. We go, oh, look, at some point, I might want you to compile this in .NET framework something. But that's as, that's as far as I want you to know about it. That's as much as I want you to know. And that's how we kind of keep them a bit silent off. Well, thank you, guys. That's probably a good place for us to stop. But I, I like the, uh, the those final parting words because I think it's good for us to provide that clarity and also give our audience some things to think about and, uh, and uh, you know, this is, it's been a uh, ongoing conversation for years. So it's, I think we, we provide a lot of insight there. So um, I'd like to thank you guys all for being part of the show. Um, Nick Miller, um, how can people get in touch with you? Learn more about what you're up to. You can find me on all the various socials at Nick Mill. Uh, and yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. Thanks for being here. It's great to see you. And uh, Tony Howard from LCD Control Systems. How could people get in touch with you and learn more about LCD? And uh, thanks for this being here for the first time. It was great having you. It has been a, a, a real pleasure to be here. And you can find me at uh, lightingcontrol.co.uk or LinkedIn or even Instagram at Tech by Tony, I think is my, is my handle. So not much on there yet, though, I don't think. Great. Well, th thanks. We we'll look forward to having you back. And uh, last but not least, uh, Rich, how could people get in touch with you? learn what you're up to and, um, and, and any uh, final thoughts you wanted to share. Fergosa Designs, the company. Uh, you can find the webpage uh, at rfergosa across uh, the various socials. Uh, but first and foremost, I got to put it in here. Where I hope you find me is here on avnation.tv and our suite of shows here with my partner, Steve, and all of our other shows, uh, AV Week, Resi Week, that uh, fill all of our verticals. That would make me happy if you find us here and find us on our other shows. Well said, and uh, always uh, want to promote our shows. And, and also, uh, recently, I was on Resi Week, hosted uh, actually by our producer, Mitchell Tulin. So please check that out on episode 394. Um, and, uh, but the, all the, the, the shows that Aviation Family provides provide a, a lot of not only great content, but also insight into other personalities in the industry. So check those out at avnation.tv. Please also uh, reach out to the support sponsors who support the shows and thank them for helping us uh, put these shows on. Um, for us, you can uh, please leave a comment, a rating, review. We'd like to hear from you. Um, we, we'd also, we're also looking to make sure that our audience is getting the coverage that they're looking for and the topics that they would like uh, discussed. So if you have any ideas, suggestions, or want to be on the show, please reach out to Richard or me. And you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. Um, you could reach me, my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. And I also have another uh, podcast that I do with um, James King called Ask the Programmer. And that's a, just a, another uh, compliment to this show, which uh, just continues the discussion about different topics in uh, AV programming and control. And with that, this has been State of Control.